Man, the potential. Can I tell you, God, how many of you believe a revival is coming to our city? According to your faith, be it done to you. Uh, I believe it with all my heart, and I want to be a part of it. How many of you want to be a part of it? Amen? Today we are going to continue through our series called Put Away the Toys, and we've been talking about growing up in our faith, that it's time for us in the kingdom of God to put away childish things and to grow up in our faith. And we've been using a book by Eugene Peterson called Perseverance. Long obedience in the same direction, and he does a study on the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are the songs that the Jews, the Israelites, would sing as they traveled to Jerusalem. They were required three times a year to travel to Jerusalem to offer praises to God, sacrifices to God, because Jerusalem was where uh, God's presence dwelled. And so they were required to travel there, and as they did, they sang these songs. They didn't just sing them through one time, probably, because remember, it would take them days to travel. So they would continuously sing these songs, these declarations of faith. Okay, I, I, I don't know if you fully understand, when we gather here to sing songs, it's, we're not just passing the time. Okay, the songs that we sing are declarations of who God is, what God has done. It's a weapon. The Bible says that the praises of his people are a weapon. And so when you sing God's praise, you are actually warring in heavenly places so that you win the battle there so you can see it here. Okay, if, you, if we don't battle in the heavenly places, we will not see victory in our lives. If we aren't in prayer, we're not going to see victory. If we're not in worship, we're not going to see victory. If we're not declaring God's truth in his word, we're not going to see victory. So we're going to be forever frustrated that our circumstances aren't changing. But if we don't do the battle in heavenly places, then the victory is not going to be seen on the earth. Does that make sense? And so these, the, the Jews would sing these songs, they would go uh, before the Lord, and uh, we are nearing the end of this. We started it all the way back in October, and I, maybe it's gotten long for you, it's gotten long for me. I don't like long series, uh, this one has just been like long. I've, I love those pastors that can preach on a book of the Bible for an entire year. I think, man, I would just go insane. Um, but we're staying the course, because this is called perseverance, and so we've come to near the end, Psalm 133, and this one is called community. Community. Maybe very appropriate for Valentine's Day that we talk about community or the family of God, but that's what Psalm 133 talks about. So we're going to read again from the message, only two more weeks, and then we'll get out of the message. I thought I'd get an amen, but Psalm 133, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. Now, the idea of church membership kind of stirs up different emotions in people. And whether we like it or not, or whether we acknowledge it or not, the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, at that moment, we become a member of the church. 
We may never put our name on a church membership roster or we may never identify with one particular congregation and we may never get into this idea of worshiping every week with a, one congregation, but membership in the body of Christ, membership in the church is a corollary to our faith in Christ. Maybe bring my mic down just a little bit because I'm a little loud and I'll just get excited as we go. And so it's impossible for us to be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church. It's as impossible as us being born as a person and not being a part of a, a family. I mean, everyone who's born has to have a mother and father. I mean, it just, it has to. You have to. It's just impossible not to. And in the same way, when we get born into the kingdom of God, we get born into the church. Membership in the church is a basic fact for those who confess Christ as Lord. It's not optional. It's not like for those that are more social than others, you know, they're called to be members and the rest of us are not. It's actually a part of the fabric of redemption, being born into the kingdom of God, being born into the family of God. Now, there are Christians, of course, who will never put their name down on these rosters. There are Christians who will never uh, respond to that call to worship every, every week. And there will be Christians who say, I love God, but I hate the church. I actually have a book in my office called, I Love Jesus, I Hate the Church. Uh, the title, I was in Barnes and Nobles one day years ago, and the title intrigued me because I thought if Jesus is the head of the church, I don't understand how you can love the head and hate the body, but uh, I read the book, and he makes some good points, but I would have called it something different. We are, whether we want to be or not, or acknowledge it or not, all members of the church. Okay, there will be people that would disagree with that, but I think Scripture makes it very clear, because God never makes private, secret salvation deals with anybody. Okay? Our relationship with God is very personal and it's very intimate, but it is not, it is not private. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians and make Christ our Lord, we now have lots of brothers and sisters in faith. There is not a Christian on this planet who is an only child. But the fact that we're a family of faith doesn't mean that we're one big happy family. We will encounter brothers and sisters in Christ who are not nice people. The moment we become believers, we are not instantaneously transformed into the perfect image of Christ. Okay? Uh, we know that. Some of our brothers and sisters will be cranky. Some of them will be dull. Some of them will be a downright drag. But none of us fall into any of those categories, so it's okay. At the same time, the Lord calls us brothers and sisters, and he calls us to love one another. If God is our Father, these are our brothers and sisters. So the question for us is not, am I going to be a part of the community of faith? The real question is, how am I going to live in this community of faith? And all of us as God's children respond a little bit differently. Some people run away from it and pretend the family doesn't exist. Some people 
move out, get an apartment on their own, but they return for special events and holidays, and they generally bring a gift because there is a connection in their hearts. I mean, they genuinely love their brothers and sisters, but they'd rather live on their own. That's one group. Another group would never dream of leaving the family, never leave, dream of leaving the church, but by their lives, they make a lot of people wish they would. I know that sounds bad. You, I didn't write this. By the way, this was Eugene Peterson. I'm just passing it along. <laughs> but there's some truth in it. These are the people that are always criticizing at meals how it was cooked, how it was prepared, what we're having. They always like to quarrel about the way the housekeeping is done, and they always like to complain that there are members of the family that are either ignoring them or taking advantage of them. So those are all responses that we get from the children of God, but there is a response from many who are determined to find out what God has in mind in placing them in this community of faith. And they are learning how to function in it in a harmoniously and joyous way. They are learning to walk in the grace of God and being able to exchange His grace with imperfect brothers and sisters. And there are a lot of people that respond that way. Psalm 133 presents this idea of what we're after. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. The psalm puts into words what is presented to us throughout the scripture. Community is essential. The scripture nowhere teaches that as members of uh, the, the family of God, we live a solitary existence. People of faith are always members of a community. Go all the way back to Genesis. When God created all that he created, it was not complete until there was community. Adam needed Eve before humanity was a whole. It was not good for man to be alone. Not just in the sense of marriage. It has never been good for man to be alone. God never works with individuals in isolation. He always works for the greater good. Even his single promise to Abraham was a promise to every man and woman on the earth. He never works in isolation. Jesus worked with 12 disciples, and he lived with them in community. The apostles, the church, the body of Christ, was formed when 120 people were all together in one place. All throughout the scripture, we see community. Later in the, the, the church, in the early church, people started dropping out of the church. They started pursuing their own private interests. And one of the pastors writes a letter to them and he encourages them to nurture this idea of community. Look what he writes in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't avoid worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. When Jesus was questioned in Matthew chapter 22, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your passion and your prayer and your intelligence. But immediately after Jesus speaks these words, he goes and he, he adds something to it because if, if he just leaves it with this, we'll have a tendency to make a private religion out of it. You know, we'll, we'll sing, I come to the garden alone. That'll be the song. 
And so what Jesus does immediately is he sets another one right alongside of it. Not only are we to love the Lord our God with everything, but we should love others as much as we love ourselves. So every week, you and I gather to worship the Lord, people are unavoidably present. And that's as it should be. We come to declare our love for God, and we have to do it in the face of both lovely and unlovely fellow sinners. And it's good. We worship with those who God loves and commands us to love. And it should never be treated as something we have to put up with. We shouldn't treat this idea of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ as one of the necessary evils. Sort of like paying our, our income tax is one of those necessary evils that we have to do if we want to live in a free, safe, secure society. Okay? Loving our brothers and sisters is not our income tax in the kingdom of God. It's our privilege. And it all depends on how we see it. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. And although living in community is necessary and it's desirable, how many of you know it's also enormously difficult? You can say amen. It's hard because look around you. The room is full of imperfect people. And so when you put imperfect people together, there's bound to be a little friction. But this psalm reminds us of what we're going after. Most of us have brothers and sisters. We understand brothers and sisters fight. The first story we have of brothers in the Bible living together, Cain and Abel. And we know that story. It's a murder story. And ironically, what they're fighting over is a religious thing. It's a quarrel over who God loves best. <laughs> Turn over a few pages, we get the story of Joseph and his brothers. Envied by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt. Turn over a few pages more, we get Miriam and Aaron quarreling with their brother Moses. Again, a religious fight. Does God only speak to you? Does he not also speak to us? David and his brothers don't fare any better. Jesus and his brothers actually show us that there's disharmony there. The only instance we get, the picture we get of Jesus and his family is one where his brothers are misunderstanding him, trying to drag him away from his messianic work, and they're convinced that he's crazy. And yet God calls us as brothers and sisters. So if we're going to sing this beautiful song, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along, we can't do it by ourselves. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, as a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. You have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with, with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Notice he says, keep yourselves united in the Spirit. It tells us that it's the Spirit who unites us. You know, we sometimes try to force a unity to happen 
or try to force things in our, our lives to, to meld together, but it's created by God. The moment we accept Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, He brings unity to our lives. However, we're called on to maintain that or keep the unity that He brings. Okay, You're not called to create it. You're called to maintain it. Which means you're not called to, 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 to change someone else. We're called to change us. I can't force someone else into agreement with me, but I can change me to try to walk in agreement with them. Does that make sense? Look at what he says to do. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults. In other words, have some margin. How many of you create a budget and you create margin in that budget? You have what you call the miscellaneous or the slush fund. Knowing that every month there's going to be something that happens or something you want to do. And if you're wise, you'll spend all of your money before the month on paper before that month comes. Amen, Dave Ramsey. And so if you do that, you create margin. You create a little slush fund or you create a little room for that. And if you don't, if you, if you spend every single dollar on bills before that month begins, then when your kids walk in the room with their pants up to here, you're going to be like, oh shoot, I forgot to put margin on there. So we create margin. That's what he's saying. Create some margin. So that when other people fail, you're not like, ah! You've made room in your life for them to fail. There's a buffer. I've expected this day to come. Not because I expected you to be a failure or I expected you to react that way, but I've just, I've created margin in my life. I've recognized that in my life, God has had to give me such grace that I need to offer that to you too. And so I'm not going to be knocked off my stool today because you've responded in a way that I don't think a Christian should respond. It's margin. We make allowance for each other's faults because of love. I know on Valentine's Day we talk a lot about love. Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. Love recognizes the value that's placed on something and then it acts accordingly. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so he calls us to recognize the same value that he's placed on everyone. Every person on this planet has the same value in the eyes of God. And that's why he says, love your enemies. Because just like Cain and Abel, it's not about which of the children God loves more. He loves them all. And he calls us to walk in that same Thing. So he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And there is nothing that requires more energy and more attention than this. In fact, it would be easier to do just about anything else on the planet than for us to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ. And that's why Jesus says, you're going to be known as my disciples because of your love for one another. Because it's the hardest thing. You're not going to be known for it because of the gifts of the Spirit. You're not going to be known, and those are difficult things. To learn to walk in the Spirit and obey the Lord and, and do all these things, is, is, those are difficult things, but the most difficult thing of all is maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the body 
of Christ. See, for us, it's easier for us to deal with people as problems to be solved than to walk with them in community. It's easier for us to send people away until they get fixed up than to walk every single day with them. I often joke about the time that uh, Christy was pregnant with Kedrick, and I say, man, it was the best pregnancy we ever had. And I joke about it because she was living at Trinity at the time. And so I didn't deal with her on a daily basis. She was sick all the time, and she, it was miserable for her, probably the worst pregnancy for her, but I didn't experience it. I didn't have to walk with her every single day. And so best pregnancy for me. But that's not what love is all about. Love is about walking every single day. And what I've learned is, is when actually when I walk with her every day, when she's not feeling well or sick, that actually love in my heart begins to grow. When I act accordingly, does that mean that there are never days of frustration when she doesn't feel well and I'm, no, you feel those frustrations as human beings, but when we act accordingly, love actually grows in our heart. And we actually, I actually get drawn closer to her during difficult seasons than when I ship her away to get fixed and then come back. Although, that's easier on me. Does that make sense? It's harder to walk day by day, and we just want to ship people away, get them fixed, and then, hey, when you get fixed, you come back and we'll be in relationship. But the truth is, I don't grow in those times. They maybe grow. They maybe get God's plan worked out in their lives a little bit, but I benefit not at all. In order for me to grow and benefit, i got to walk beside them, making allowance for their faults and growing together. Because here's the thing. I know we always think it's the other person that needs fixed. But it's not. We need as much fixing as they do. Everyone say amen. <laughs> we need as much fixing as they do. We've just become comfortable with our flaws. So we're called to walk in this new family, not grudgingly, not critically, but humbly, gently, patiently, keeping the unity the Spirit brings. And then in Psalm 133, we get two poetic images. The first describes community as the costly anointing oil flowing down the head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. The picture of this comes from Exodus chapter 29. This is the ordination process for the priests, for Aaron. After the sacrifices were presented, Aaron was dressed up in his priestly robes, and then we're told in Exodus 29, you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. You shall ordain him and his sons as priests. The oil marks them as priests. So if we're to live together in this community, we have to see the oil flowing over the head, down the face, through the beard, onto the shoulders of our brothers and sisters. That means that my brother and sister in Christ is also my priest. You know, the Bible calls us all a royal priesthood, a priesthood of believers. And I know in our American culture mindset of arrogance and pride, I don't need anyone else. But the Bible says, 
I need my brothers and sisters as my priests. Now that's not an excuse to say that I can't get to God unless somebody helps me, but it says I cannot walk alone. I cannot choose to walk alone. I gotta choose to walk in relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ has anointed us with his spirit. He has set us apart for service to one another. He's called us to mediate the mysteries of God to one another, to represent the voice of God to one another. We are priests of God to one another. As as Christians, we need other Christians to speak the word of God to us. As Christians, we need those people, when we're discouraged or uncertain, to remind us of the truths of God's word. As Christians, when we get arrogant and start to walk in error, we need our brothers and sisters to come alongside us and again preach the word of God to us. We need them to minister to us in Christ. We need to see them as priests, oil. The second analogy he gives us is one of the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Now, the thing is, is this is impossible. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in that part of the world. The elevation is over 9,000 feet. It's on the northern border with Lebanon, way up there. Zion is a reference to Jerusalem. They're separated by hundreds of miles. There ain't no dew from Mount Hermon flowing onto Zion, okay? It's an analogy. But what the analogy is saying to us is if you've ever slept on a high elevation area, I have never, thank the Lord, I've never camped on a high elevation area. I never desire to either, Lord. It's not in my heart at all. But I've heard and read that the dew is very heavy. When you wake up, you are actually drenched with dew. And the, the author, he extends that analogy to the hills of Mount Zion, the place where God's presence is, Jerusalem, where brothers and sisters walk. Now, Zion is in a dry, barren, desert region. So he's saying that unity, that where brothers and sisters get along, is like the dew of Mount Hermon in this dry place. Drenched with dew in this dry place. See, if we're going to live in a community of faith, there has to be a a daily expectation that God is also working in the lives of our brothers and sisters. What we like to see is that our brothers and sisters are flawed and that we need to help them get unflawed. But what we need to do is remember every morning his mercies are indeed new. And every morning God is working with them the same way that he is working with us. And when we learn to get along When we walk in this unity of the Spirit, we refuse to label one another. We refuse to predict one another's behavior. I knew you would react like that. It's easy for us to fall into that trap. We recognize that every person in community is unique, and every person is loved by God and led by the Spirit of God. A community will flourish when we view each other with that type of expectancy, wondering today what God is going to do in the lives of our brothers and sisters and hoping for God's best in their lives. The oil flowing down Aaron's beard communicates that warm, priestly relationship. The dew descending down Mount Hermon slopes talks about that fresh and expected newness. Oil and dew, those two things make life delightful. 
And then the last line of this short psalm is probably the best. That's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. So many of us spend our lives trying to get to this place where we walk in God's favor and blessing, don't we? I mean, I know that because of what Christ has done, we fully enjoy the favor of God on our lives, and nothing we can do can change that. But the scripture does teach us that we can walk in a certain way to to enjoy the blessing of God in our, our daily lives. The joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. They delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on it day and night. They become like a tree planted along the, the riverbank bearing fruit in season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. So in other words, just you know, showing up and punching our time clock in church is not necessarily going to get us into the blessing of God. We've got to meditate on his word day and night. We've got to put it into practice every day. I mean, we've got to do it. And the thing is, is God comes alongside us and he blesses our our work and our efforts. Our efforts could never get us to this place, but when we take the step to, to, to go along this path, God comes along and he makes it possible. But he's not going to do it for us. And so the interesting thing about this psalm is, you know, we, we fast, we pray, we study the word, we walk in obedience to God, all in the hope of finding a place of blessing. But what Psalm 133 tells us is, you'll never find it fully alone. Alone. I mean, you're going to walk alone in some blessing in favor of God. But if you want to walk in a full, fuller, blessing of God, you got to walk in unity with your brothers and sisters. God has already declared blessing where his people get along. He's already done it. That's why it's important that we make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Because when we choose to honor and value one another with our actions, when we choose to become unoffendable, that's where the blessing of God rests. Please don't think of this as an all or nothing type of thing. That as a church, we'll never get to the place of blessing until we, we, we get to this full place of complete unity and agreement. No, I think as we start choosing to walk in it, every time we choose to honor, every time we choose to walk in love, every time we choose to pursue this, I think God comes along and blesses just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And so we continue down this path. And when we realize we've stepped off the path, we repent and we get back on the path. And sometimes that means going to our brothers and sisters and repenting to them and then getting back on that path. The scripture connects our relationships with people more than I think we realize. We've already talked about the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God, but love your neighbors yourself. Look at Matthew chapter six. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told the story of the unmerciful servant who didn't have the same mercy on his fellow servant that the master had had on him. The angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is pretty important. Not something that we should take lightly. This idea is more important than anything else we pursue. 
our relationships with other believers. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, wives, elbow your husbands. Make sure they're awake. You must give honor to your wives. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Look how it's linked. You could fast and pray all you want. But just one moment of honoring your wife might actually give more blessing in your life than 40 days of fasting and prayer. Please don't think that you just have to honor your wife. Fasting and prayer is still important. But I'm, it's so much easier to fast and pray than to honor our wives, isn't it? Especially when we feel like our wives aren't deserving of honor. When you said, I do, from that moment on, you chose honor. And this goes for wives too. Let's just pick on husbands. So no matter how the other person acts, honor is always a part of the equation. Because honor is about our attitude. And so we can even, I believe it's even possible to separate from our spouse and still walk in honor. Because if, if the, the actions of one is, is to the point where you need to separate, if, if one is living in immorality, you don't need to stay attached to that. The Bible says separate. You have the right to do that. But you can remain in honor even when you do that. Because honor has a lot to do with our, our attitude and our words, not just our actions. In Matthew chapter 7, we're told that the standard we use to judge others is the standard that will be used to judge us. In Luke chapter 6, we're told that the standard we use to give to others is the standard that will be used to give back to us. And even more than that, God's going to press it down, shake it together, and it's going to run over. All throughout Scripture, how we treat one another, our relationships with other, are more important than I think we realize in the body of Christ. They tell us a lot about our faith in Christ. And they reveal to us a lot about our character. I have two last scriptures, and then we're going to close. Reminding us that we are indeed the body of Christ, a family. The bodies have many parts, but God has put each part just where he wants it. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, there's also a time for correction in the body of Christ. You and I don't get to just do whatever we want. Jesus outlined in Matthew chapter 18 that if there's a problem in a relationship, you've got to deal with it. We don't like to deal with it in America. We just like to process it all on our own. You know, just let me deal with it inwardly and so much easier on me if I do it that way. But that's not the Bible. I know it's easier and I know we don't like it, but if we're going to grow and walk in this place of blessing that God's commanded, we got to do it His way. And so when there's a problem, we go one-on-one to one another first. And then... We take someone else and we try to work it out in a small group. And when that doesn't work, we have to go to a larger group. The Bible says you take it before the body. You take it before the the body of, of leaders or elders. You take it before the church. And you try to work out that situation. But it's not always going to happen. The Bible says as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is the place of blessing. God commands it. 
And here's the thing. It's going to be the hardest thing you and I ever do. But it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And so, Father, I thank you today for bringing us into this community of faith. Thank you for setting us right where you want us. Because of the giftings that are on our lives, you've put us in this body to minister one to another. And because of the flaws in our character, you've also put us here so that you can shape and chisel those things out of our lives. Father, forgive us for looking outwardly far too often. Forgive us for always rushing to, the, to blame someone else for the issues in our lives. Help us to learn to walk in this place of unity, of getting along with our brothers and sisters. God, we never want to compromise the truth of your word. But we want to be able to lay down our preferences in order to serve one another in love. Holy Spirit, we recognize this job is way too big for us. We tend to be selfish. We tend to be self-seeking. We tend to think we're right. We tend to look down on others. But you've created us anew. You've given us the mind of Christ. We no longer have to live according to our flesh. We can walk in this newness of life. We can walk in complete humility and gentleness. We can be patient with one another where in the past maybe we would have been quick to speak or judge. We can make allowance for each other's faults. God, we can walk and enjoy this journey with our brothers and sisters in Christ and not just look at it as a task that's a necessary evil. The Holy Spirit, we need your help. We recognize that you have put us in this body with brothers and sisters who are priests to minister to us, to help us walk this relationship with you. We recognize that our American culture isn't right, that we can just do this on our own. You've called us into community. Help us to do it. Help us to live like it. Help us to honor and value the family that you've put us into. Even in those difficult moments when we, when we have to deal with the issues that come between us, Help us to do it in honor and in love. Guard our hearts. So Father, I ask that you'd put this deep within our hearts today. Holy Spirit, create the unity that you bring in our hearts and lives and then show us how to maintain that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go today. Uh, Tonight, our youth are putting on a Valentine's Day banquet.
And uh, if you've not gotten tickets yet and you want to be a part of that, they're going to be selling them out in the, the foyer. And so we encourage you to get those. And uh, I pray that as you go this week, that we would faithfully live in this community that God has called us to. God bless.